0: Today's podcast is brought to you in part by Manning Publications. If you use the discount code YTFisher at checkout, you'll get 40% off my Docker in Motion course. It is five and a half hours long, and it teaches the fundamentals of Docker. Go to howtocowell.net forward slash to get my course or other video courses and books from Manning Publications. Link in the description below. Hello, coders, and welcome to another How to Code Well podcast. Today's topic is about software testing, and I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Jenna Charlton. Hi, Jenna. How's it going? Have you had a good week?
1: I have. It's going really well.
0: Awesome. Where are you you
1: currently based? So I am based about 20 minutes east of Cleveland, Ohio. So I am a Midwestern girl (laughs) in the U.S.
0: (laughs) <laughs> awesome, awesome, and I do like your uh, shelf behind you. You've got awesome. Uh, what, what are they? Are they sort of? Uh, uh, what, what are they called? Famo- They're called
1: pop vinyls. Oh, pop vinyls. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> nice. Uh, trying to think of who's on that shelf. See, so we've got some Invader Zim, some Game of Thrones, oh, some nice. Hello Kitty big mess of stuff. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. All right.
0: So we're going to be talking about software testing. Um, This is something that we haven't actually discussed in depth on this, on the podcast at least, let alone the How to Code Well uh, channel. But before we do that, let's talk about your background. So how did you get into software testing?
1: So I did what a lot of testers do is that I fell into testing. Right. Um, Totally stealing that line from someone else. (laughs) But... (laughs) I worked terrible customer service jobs where like I was on the phone talking to people who didn't want to have to talk to me. Mm. Um, and I got the opportunity to work for this company called Brand Muscle. It was my very first tech job. And I was in their help desk. So like I would take calls in from their customers who needed help putting their ads together. And after like eight months, they said, do you want to try something else? And I was like, yes, please. Let's try something else. <laughs> um, so they let me try testing. And, uh, I fell in love and I was like, that's it. This is what I'm doing.
0: So what was it that you were testing at that time?
1: Um, so I, they built a software, they still do. That's a kind of a marketing services software. Mm -hmm. So they have big customers like, and I don't know if they're still customers, but like Allstate and direct TV, um, that have independent agents and dealers. Mm -hmm. So they put their branded marketing into the, into templates in this site. And then the independent agents and dealers can go in and make marketing that that's on brand and compliant, um, and then send it off to, like there's this thing called Valpack in the United States that like you get this mailer of a ton of ads that you don't want. But ads go in there, and sometimes you'll see like a a bench that has like one of the ads on it, or a billboard, random places.
0: Right, right. (laughs) That that sounds awesome. I mean, software testing is, I mean, I test from the perspective of a developer. But I don't I guess I don't I don't test from from other perspectives, and I guess that's that's sort of something that I wouldn't mind sort of picking apart with with you is to what are the different types of testing
1: that are available. <laughs> so there's as many different languages as there are to build to build in right. there's as many different ways to test um, So people like to talk about the testing pyramid and you know you've got unit tests, then automated tests, component tests, and then you've got your exploratory manual testing at the top. Mm. Um, but it's deeper than that because there's all sorts of other things you can do. You can do fuzz testing, you can do security testing, you can do AB testing. Um, my focus, and I don't get to do a ton of testing anymore cause I'm a test lead now. So kind of like being a dev lead, like I lead a group.
0: Awesome.
1: Um, but my focus is mainly in usability and accessibility and, um, functionality. Okay. So I do a lot of exploratory testing. I'm exclusively manual. Um, I do have some tools that I use, but I don't like write automation code. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of where I live.
0: <laughs> so, so how, how long have you been doing this for?
1: Um, I want to say it's been about nine years now.
0: Wow. Gosh. So you are a pro pro, a pro pro.
1: <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I've got some skills. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what's um, from from the inception of you being given that opportunity to 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 test, you must have you you must have um, become quickly. Uh, I don't want to use the word addicted, or you know, there must have been something that grabbed you that motivated you to continue that for nine years. So, what is it in testing that you that excites you?
1: There's always something new to learn. Right. Um, just like developers love to learn new things, Mm -hmm. testers really are the same way. We love to try new techniques, to learn new skills, um, to play with things. Mm -hmm. So people say that we we break things, but I tell you, I don't break anything. Like I I just expose and it never worked in the first place.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's good. That is such a good little (laughs) sound right right there. It never worked in the first place. I didn't break that.
1: (laughs) But that's really what it is because I'm not going in and changing your code. Right. I'm simply looking at it with a different set of eyes and a different set of skills Mm -hmm. and a different approach. Um, So there's always something new to play with. There's always something new to learn. Um, And I love working as part of a team and testers are a huge part of a team. Mm -hmm. We kind of sometimes act as translators between the business and the developers. I've I've been in situations where I act as like the intermediary because they're not speaking the same language. And I also act as a bridge between the user and the developer. Okay. So the user has their own language. The developer has their own language. And I kind of sit in the middle in this very human position where I can speak the language as a bull okay. and kind of bridge that gap.
0: So, that, I mean, that that would, in my opinion, that would bring a lot of skills to the table, such as, you know, talking. I mean, you, you mentioned there human interaction. So you must have personal skills to talk about technical things to people, to the end user, who who don't necessarily have that level of knowledge or exposed to that level of knowledge. So you must be able to translate what the developer is doing to the user and vice versa, translate what the user needs to the developer. Awesome.
1: And it, it, it's a major skill in testing. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes when I say user, I'm looking at the business as the user because they're the representative of our ultimate user. I work for a progressive insurance, so I don't get to talk to my users, but I do get to talk to the business folks that represent their user. Right. So they're kind of taking the place of the customer that's going in and getting an insurance quote. Okay. Um, but they don't. Uh, the business folks don't necessarily know how an API functions. No. They don't necessarily know why JavaScript does what it does. And I may not know fully either, but I at least know enough Mm -hmm. that I'm dangerous. I'm not giving away too much information Mm -hmm. because I don't know the too much information, but I'm also able to kind of bring it down to their level because i learned it at their level. You know, I didn't learn it through a formal education. So, Mm -hmm taken I've taken a small amount of skills and learned how to translate them something bigger
0: (laughs) so how how did how did the transition work between you know learning to 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 test software to becoming a lead in software testing what how how did Uh, that story happen
1: that happened so let's see I was just part of a test team for many many years and I was working for a company that technically doesn't exist anymore. They were bought by another major company. Mm-hmm. And I decided that was a good time to leave. Um and I took the job at Progressive. Um and my manager at the time and the other managers kind of saw that I had some real leadership skills and um had a really strong understanding of testing in a way that a lot of the other folks didn't because I was coming from the outside. Wow. Um so I, I work for a company that has a very double edged sword that people get the job there and never leave. I have a coworker who is going on her 31st anniversary with the company. Wow. Um, So it's her, it's her only job. It was her first job out of college. She never left.
2: Oh, wow.
1: Um, So I've been working in the broader world for a long time and I'm bringing in new thoughts that people aren't really using because they've been there forever. So those new thoughts kind of get moved up to leadership a little bit quicker because Mm -hmm. they, um, it brings some, It brings that new perspective, that much needed perspective because it's modernizing things. Um, oh, sorry, but the big thing is that I just have some innate leadership skills that weren't being tapped, and now they're being tapped
0: so uh, yeah, I was about to ask you about that it's 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 one to be a a leader. it's another thing to actually lead.
1: <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that um we don't have people in leadership positions that don't know how to lead, yeah. You don't get put there just because oh you've been here forever and you're a really good developer. Like you have to actually have the right skills to get moved to that position.
2: Mm.
1: Otherwise, you'll work in another capacity. Is mm. a lead level, but as an individual contributor, because team mm. teams rise and fall on quality leadership.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah definitely preach <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely you meant you mentioned earlier about having um being able to bring new ideas uh, up through up through the chain um what kind of ideas are we talking about here
1: um just different ways to test so much more agile right. testing methods. um as you can picture a giant insurance company probably being somewhat waterfall You know, they're still going through an agile transformation. Right. Um, So folks who have a lot of experience in agile testing, which I did, Mm -hmm. that's bringing new perspectives and new thoughts. Right. Um,
0: Okay. So, so you're, you're actually changing the development practices from, even though you're not strictly in the development team, you're helping to change the development practices for the better. Which is really good. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so can you, can you describe what a typical day is for both a tester and then both for a leader?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so I don't think that there is a typical day. <laughs> the only reason being I do a lot of things beyond testing and leading. Okay. So I'm also on a number of committees and do
2: oh, great. You know, all kinds
1: of initiatives. But a typical day, if I didn't have any of the extra stuff, would be I get to the office early mm-hmm. uh, because it gives me some quiet time. So if I have really fiddly things to do, that's when I'm going to do them. Mm-hmm. It's from like 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. when almost nobody's around.
2: Right.
1: Um, and then everybody starts to come in. That's usually when everybody grabs you and tells you the things that happened after you left. Because if I get there at 7 a.m., I'm probably leaving by 4. <laughs> 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 I might not be done with my day. I might keep it going at home, but I'm probably going to leave the office. <laughs> mm, mm, um, mm. So usually between 8 and 9, people are, you know, hey, this thing happened. Can you look at this thing? Can you talk to so-and-so? Mm. Help me understand this. Mm. Um, and then usually the stand-up, because you got to have your stand-up in the morning. And then the rest of the day is usually a blur of more of I don't understand this. How does this work? right a whole bunch of meetings <laughs> right. so so uh,
0: let, let's say for example uh you're working on a new project and i mean how how does the project how does it how does it manifest do you do you get given the project requirements whilst the project is being developed so you know what to expect and then do you use the requirements as a guide to what to test what how does that do, work
1: um and i should say the projects that I work on are massive scale projects.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: So um, there's, I'm in a smaller, smaller team right now. There's about 25 people on the team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I've also worked on a team that had 125 people <laughs> on it. That was like a wow. originally wow. five year initiative. Now it's looking more like eight, you know, multiple million hours mm-hmm. of labor expected. So there's, we go into these projects and there's a, There's an idea. There's a thing we need. And usually some high-level requirements have been gathered. Some general business information has been gathered. And then the business analysts start to actually nail down, like, what are we really doing? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's usually when the team develops and they bring in the leadership groups. So the project manager, tech lead, um, test lead, and maybe an RA lead, like a requirements lead. Mm -hmm. That's when we start to figure it out but we follow a more agile methodology that we're writing requirements just in time. So we get enough to get started and we get a direction and we may even create um, a project map right, with right. a user story map, but then we're writing requirements as we go. So requirements I think are like two sprints ahead of us. Right. And that's good because I've worked in projects where they were like in the same sprint as us. Not so good. <laughs>
0: yeah I can imagine that's like you know tripping over each other
1: (laughs) yeah well sometimes just everybody has to stop until requirements are done because there's nothing that we can move forward on
0: so that's a great point and I wouldn't mind picking that apart if that's all right am I right in thinking that the buck stops when the requirements don't aren't met I mean so do you have do you, are you able to say, no, this isn't acceptable? Yes. Yeah.
1: So we work from a perspective of testing at every level,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which means that we also test the requirements.
2: Right.
1: Um, and that doesn't mean that I sit down and point by point test all the acceptance criteria. What it means is that when the requirements analyst is done with a card, it goes out and everybody looks at it mm-hmm. kind of like the really traditional three amigos model. Mm hmm. And that's when I can say, you know, I get where you're going with this, but this isn't going to work for X reason. Okay. Or a developer will step in and say, yeah, this isn't actually doable. Like with the code base as it exists today, we can't make this happen. Right. Um, or this is so much of a lift that I don't think it's worth it. Right. Um, that's happened a couple of times, right. especially when it comes to like cutesy, quirky UX things. It's like, we'd like it to do this. And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> MVP. <laughs> That's not our yeah,
0: MVP. Yeah. The minimum oh. <laughs> viable product, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So 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 um are you are you testing both the you know the the user interface the are you testing the the data how that hangs together?
1: It depends. Um we try and separate all of that out. So UI is usually separated from back end. Mhm. Um, and I prefer it that way because it's much easier to identify where the trouble actually is. Right. Um, so sometimes there's a bug and the UI person is like, I swear it's not my bug. And they're right. It's, it's all in the back end, but it's really hard to prove unless you're testing in isolation. Mm, mm. Um, and then data, you know, I can't get too far into it, but let's put it this way. Data in a highly regulated interest industry, is complicated mm. and, um, comes with unique challenges. So, there are actually whole teams that test data sets
0: right. um,
1: and identify issues data wise. And so, often we can trust that the data that we're getting and the data that we, we can plan to work with mm-hmm. is clean and sanitized. And we know that whatever we're, bu- we're building will work.
0: This is fascinating stuff. I mean, I've, I've never had, and I've worked with testers before, but I've never had this opportunity to speak to a tester of this caliber. Um, so i'm really yeah i'm absorbing everything you're saying the 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 thing that, that 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 i would like to understand is or one of many is is when when you say it's not acceptable as in it doesn't meet the requirements mm-hmm. am i right in thinking that at that point there's going to be a little bit of tension between your team and other teams is that correct
1: so there could be there could be um, i do like to emphasize that we're one team mm-hmm. so yes i technically have a testing team mm-hmm. but we're embedded in the project
0: right, right. So,
1: one team one goal and sure. we've taken our rather large team of 25 and broken it into what we call work streams So it's small groups of people, almost like scrum teams, Mm. doing similar work, working together. Mm. Um, The more psychological safety we can create on the team, the less tension there is. I like that answer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Excellent. That was very well put.
1: (laughs) But, you know, me finding an issue isn't a judgment on you because – and this is something unique to the way we do business, but I think more companies should do it. Mm -hmm. Developers are responsible for, um, testing up to the acceptance criteria. So we ask them to do their own testing and then to provide us with a test plan that shows that testing.
2: Oh, brilliant. Um, Right.
1: Yeah. And often there's like a little meeting that we sit down and we talk about it and we can ask the requirements analyst questions. Requirements analysts can ask the developer questions. Um, so any defects we find they're not because the developer did something wrong they're because integrating with the rest of the application something came up
0: I see okay so um the developers would still need to test their code obviously mm-hmm. to make sure it's logically okay and yes. ha- and hangs together from a from a coding perspective mm-hmm. I see okay okay so um can you talk about the tools and the technology that you apply when testing?
1: Sure. Um, so there's the basic tools like the tracking software. We use TFS or now it's called ADO, um, oh, <laughs> Azure DevOps. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's not, it's not perfect for what we do, but it's also not the worst thing I've ever, ever used. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I do use Postman a lot because I do a lot of API integration testing. Um, I use SOAP UI for when it's a SOAP uh, service instead of a REST service. Um, spend a lot of time in SQL. And I used to be really good at Fiddler, but I haven't had to use it in a while, so don't know how good I am with it anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I do a lot with accessibility. Right. Um, so I also use tools like JAWS, um, like ZoomText, ne- and, and I've never I have Tenon.
0: I've never heard of those.
1: You've never heard of JAWS and ZoomText? No. No. What do they do? do? So JAWS is a screen reader. Okay. Uh, So there's also NVDA. NVDA is free. JAWS um, is kind of pricey. Um, And then you also, if you're a Mac user, you have the option of voiceover, which works the exact same way. Um, And if you've never used a screen reader, I highly recommend sitting down with your application, putting on like a sleep mask and try and get through your application with just the screen reader and your keyboard. Wow. Okay. Um, You'll really learn a lot about what your user (laughs) experiences if they're visually impaired.
0: Awesome. Um, (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Zoom text is this awesome tool that blows up your screen so it can go up to like a thousand magnification. Um, (laughs) Okay. That's for users who are low sighted. Right.
0: Um, So you do all sorts of testing. It's, you know, yeah, yeah wow gosh, yeah i mean that's do do you are you given like requirements that say things like you know this is the minimum level of browser support that we're gonna you know take on and you know forget about things in your know, i e six that kind of stuff or or is it like you need everything to be okay i it depends right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So, for the project I'm working on, we only have a couple of browsers we support. Sure, sure. Um, but I have worked on projects like when I was back at Brand Muscle. there was a company who shall remain nameless that did still use i e6 mm. Now this was uh, seven years ago, but they were they were multiple generations back, and they had to support chrome i e Firefox in multiple iterations.
0: That sounds very, very painful.
1: It was, I'm not going to lie, it was awful. And there are tools to help. Um, Like there's tools. The cat is about to walk across everything I have sitting on my desk and make a whole bunch of noise Uh, when I do that. Come on, monkey. Come on.
0: Your cat is called monkey. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) He must have some really, like, some identity issue there. I'm a monkey, am I? (laughs) Brilliant. She's
1: a visual cat. Awesome.
0: (laughs) I think I'll name my cat dog. <laughs>
1: that's so we have Monkey, Zim, and Maka.
0: Oh, wonderful. That's yeah. awesome names. Are they are they from anything?
1: Uh, yes. So Zim is from Invader Zim, right. which is a cartoon, and Maka is from my favorite anime called Soul Eater. Uh, awesome.
0: I don't know yeah. those, but cool. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very, very awesome.
1: <laughs> and you would ask me a question, and what was it? <laughs>
0: Oh, we were were talking about software testing, you know.
1: (laughs) It was something specific. I was on my train of thought and I lost it. Well, we
0: we were discussing the different browser compatibilities. Um, Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. So um, there is a tool called Sauce Labs. Right. Um, And Sauce Labs helps with that cross-browser thing. Mm -hmm. And it works, but it's still my least favorite kind of testing. Right.
0: Yeah, right. Because there's, the, I guess, there's so many different versions and operating systems to play with. And I mean, what, what do you do? Do you do mobile testing as well? I mean, how far do you go?
1: So I don't have to do mobile testing currently, um, and that's because we have a mobile native team,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: mm-hmm. the application I work on actually doesn't have a mobile option. Awesome. Um, that rules that out. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's a whole mobile mobile native apps group um, right. that does all of that within my company okay so
0: um, it sounds like you're super busy with with it i mean it, yeah <laughs> <laughs> i have
1: busy days <laughs> you have busy days
0: yeah wow wow and not only that but you're also a speaker i am you are so if you don't mind can we can we have a little chat about how how you got into into speaking and what is it that you speak about
1: sure um, so I speak about all sorts of things, kind of whatever I'm feeling at the moment I write the abstract, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but I've tried to get a little bit more focus. So I talk about testing. Um, I talk about what I call building community within teams, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which is actually going one step further than psychological safety. So psychological safety is really important, but building community means that you've built a team that has... A vested interest in one another, and a vested interest in each other's success—not just the team's success. Um, right. When people care about each other on a deeper level, better things happen.
0: Mm-hmm. I so, totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your What's your definition of uh, psychological safety?
1: Psychological safety to me is a group of people who feel safe enough to challenge one another. And push one another and really openly and honestly discuss problems
0: right right
1: right and roadblocks and impediments right yeah that's uh and
0: and we're working to a common goal right i mean it's it's uh yeah the, can you give an example of where you don't have psychological safety
1: so the team I'm on right now has some real struggles. Right. Um, and I, I can't really go into what's happened, but there's some personality problems. There's some history. Mm-hmm. Um, it even goes so far as like the team experienced some losses, like in okay. regards to people. And there's some, so there's some grief there.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, and companies do need to recognize that when people leave, mm-hmm. there's there's a mourning period. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you take all of that and you put in a struggle to have the success we want to have Mm -hmm. and a business group that is struggling to really identify what they need and changes directions. And now you have a group that doesn't know whether they're coming or going half the time, Mm -hmm. doesn't know how to win. Mm -hmm. Like it's really hard to earn points when you don't know you don't know what direction your cards are really going in. Mm-hmm. And it becomes demoralizing when you realize that you've worked on something, you've worked towards MVP and then the MVP changed. Right. So now it's not MVP anymore. No. Um, so.
0: I can relate to all of these. <laughs> 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 like, yes, that's happened. That's happened. That's happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I just haven't heard it being sort of, um, uh, sort of mentioned in this psychological safety kind of category but you are completely right it is because if one of those things happen the dynamics of the team changes and if the dynamics of the team changes then the output that that, that team can do will have will will degrade without that being sort of acknowledged and and altered Um, and, um, I think empathy is so important with what we do. Um, especially when you're dealing with multiple teams where you've got different influences on the stuff that you're working on. Um, yeah, so I totally agree. Totally agree with that. Um, yeah. So do you speak about that? Is that, is that the topic that you're, you focus on? Um, it's,
1: it's a topic that I have tried to focus on and, Mm -hmm. Actually, every time I've submitted that talk um, and it's been accepted, something's come up that I couldn't give it. So one day I'm going to get to actually talk about that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I was supposed to talk about it at STP a couple weeks ago. I had a really rough summer. Um, I wound up backing out of the conference because family first.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Oh, and I also talk about web accessibility. So I talk a lot about... um, different ways that we can make our applications accessible, different ways to test for it, and different ways to think about it.
0: Mm-hmm. All very valid things. They're, yeah. That's that's. Uh, how, how did you get into – how did you actually get into speaking, though?
1: Oh, how did I get into speaking? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I, um, I joked about it a couple of times with friends, like, hey, I should do this. And I have this awesome friend, Matt Perrin. Um, he works with me at Progressive. He's an automation lead. And he kept saying, stop joking about it and do it. It's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And he goes, no, you should do it. Mm -hmm. And finally, after he prodded me a couple of times, I was like, okay, fine. I do have this really weird idea. Mm -hmm. And I sat down and I wrote my first abstract for a talk called How Pro Wrestling Made Me a World Champion Tester. No way. (laughs) (laughs) He helped me edit it. Um, and it got into Codemash, which is a big Midwestern conference. Wow. So that was my first talk. Um, and I gave it a couple times.
0: Codemash was your first talk. Crikey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, it, but it's a really friendly conference for first time speakers. Sure. They hold slots for first timers. Um, there's so many things happening at once that it's unlikely that you're going to have a room of 600 people. Right. You know, I had a nice little group of like 20. <laughs> That felt good. Um, but yeah, it. and I I did it. I did it at another conference in Virginia Beach. Um, and then at my friend Hillary's meetup um, in Detroit. And I kind of look back on it and I cringe a little bit because it's so like overdone and overproduced. But um, I'm still really proud of it at the same time. And it was a really good like first thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And after I did that, I caught the bug. Mm. I was like, I gotta do more of this.
0: Awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, what 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 is it that, that that um you feed off of when it comes to talking? What what makes you go, yeah, that was great. I'm gonna do another one.
1: So I am a old old theater nerd. <laughs> <laughs> um I did theater in high school. I thought that it was gonna be my career. Right. And right. while I was not like the actor type, I did costuming and like stagecraft and stuff, um, I still loved the energy of being with people and learning with people and being in front of people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And nothing feels better than standing up in front of a room, talking about something you really care about, something that really matters to you, and then having people challenge you on it. Mm-hmm. And when I say challenge, I don't mean come up to me and say, well, I have more of a comment than a question. I mean, say to me, I disagree with you and here's why. And having a real conversation about it.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: It feels really good and it feels really empowering. Mm -hmm. Um, And it challenges me.
0: Yeah. so Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I dig that. Yeah. I guess it's, it's, it's also for, I I would imagine it would be like, you know, you're, you're, you're constantly learning, right? You're constantly mentoring and teaching and it's part of leading, right? It's, you know, yeah. it's, you are helping others. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, hats off to you. I, I mean, that's, that's such a, such a lovely thing to do. Um, and I, 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 yeah, it's, um, something that I would like to get more involved in the the, the speaking side. So when, 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 um, when do you speak next? Have you got any events coming up?
1: Um, in November, Let's see. I think it's like the second week of November. I will be at Test Bash in San Francisco, Ooh, nice. speaking for Ministry of Testing.
0: Wow, the I'm excited. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, so sorry. What was the what was the topic on? Oh, that one is called "Risk or Fear: What Drives Your Testing." Risk or it fear. Is, yeah, it's about making decisions for test cover about test coverage based on actual risk in your application and not allowing fear to kind of cloud the way we make decisions Ooh, okay this is very much like a testing leadership testing strategy kind of talk
0: right okay yeah yeah that sounds really interesting i mean the the what 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 would you say is the difference between risk and fear
1: risk is quantifiable and risk is something that stands up to scrutiny Mm -hmm. Um, fear is not so like i'm giving everything away here i'm afraid of clowns i really 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 don't like clowns there is no there is nothing that i can point to that says this is why clowns are scary like i can say they just kind of make me feel uncomfortable and i get kind of this weird feeling in the pit of my stomach but if you were to ask me why something's risky in an application i can't say well it just kind of makes me uncomfortable I have to be able to point to it's risky because of X, Y, and Z. I'm risky because yeah. we have struggled to build it, or it's risky because it touches three other applications, or it's risky because it has a huge impact to our users and will cost us money. Right, right. Um, so that's that's the difference. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's yeah. I get that. It's kind of like um, sort of not going by one's um, Uh, gut or one's opinion, but going by something that is, that you can actually, like you said, quantify something that you can actually measure and say, this is a risk because of X, because there is this thing. Yeah. Rather than because of this feeling. (laughs) Right. I see. I see. And when's the, when's the talk again?
1: Um, I I have to look at the dates. It's like second week in November, first week in November.
2: Cool. Um, I
1: feel bad. Let me grab it. I can tell you for sure. <laughs> I've lost track of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So it is November sixth and seventh.
0: Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll if I can if you can send me a link, I'll put it in the show notes below. If anybody's interested, oh. that'd be great. Um, so let, let, let's move in back into software testing a bit. So. A common question that I get from developers from junior devs is, you know, testing is hard, testing is difficult, testing is, takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you're, you're looking at this from a, a software tester's point of view, but for those developers who are saying those things, why should they test their code? What, what
1: can you say? So there's a couple of, couple of different things. One. Is when we talk about testing for developers, I always talk about the need for TDD.
0: Right.
1: And write your tests first. Mm-hmm. Make your assumptions about what your application should do and write your tests. Then you sit down and start coding. One, you'll know if you're on the right track because if your tests don't no longer match what you're building, then either you're re- understanding the requirements is wrong mm-hmm. or you're not building the right thing. Right. Um, and two, the better testing you can do as a developer, the more you're going to learn not just about the application you're building, but also about coding. When you start to see those weird, quirky little things that I see, you're gonna learn from the experience of finding them. One, you're gonna understand how to find them. And two, you're gonna understand how to stop them from happening going forward. Right, right. The best developers I know believe in testing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I i i um i'm a freelancer and it is i do i try and test as much as i can but sometimes it is difficult and sometimes you work on code that isn't tested so you're like well i can test what i'm working on but i can't test what i've been given because that means i'm gonna have to do more work and on something that kind of already works because it's out there in the open so then, how do I test my code if it's having to interact with all? So there's all sorts of that. So from a from a a, a perspective of a legacy untested application, uh, do you have any advice on on where to start with that?
1: So, and I will say that I've only had experience with this coming from large monolithic applications. Sure, I've sure. never worked on something small that was a legacy. Mm. Um, the my best advice is to identify the risks. So look at the application, look at your history, any history you have on the application. So if your client can tell you, we've had a whole bunch of bugs here, or we have problems every time we build this, look at the complexity. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, If you have any, any view into that, again, your client may be able to help you with that and then talk to your client about what the impact is. So what, what's the impact of all of these things failing? How, how much does it embarrass their brand? How much money will it cost them? Mm. Once you can make identifications on that, you can start to determine what you need to spend time with. Yeah. If it's yeah. something that has a really high complexity and a really bad history, but it also has almost no impact to the customer or it only affects 2% of their user base, mm. don't spend time on it. Right. right. But if it, if it impacts 90% of their user base or it's going to cost them a whole bunch of money, like they're a regulated industry and it's going to affect that in some way, or they can tell you, yeah, we really struggle with this, that's where you want to focus your energy.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. So if you spend the time up front and it's going to take you a little bit of time, but if you can spend the time up front, you'll reap the rewards of it on the back end.
0: Yeah, I definitely get that. It's, it's identifying the risks as you say. Um, and also when you're given a legacy app that you haven't written and perhaps the developer doesn't, isn't around because mm. it's been given to you and he's gone somewhere else or she's gone somewhere else. Um, I, I try and use testing as a way of giving myself confidence that the code is actually doing what it said it should be doing. Um, you, you know, it's, you, you kind of go into this thing where you don't really trust it. It's like, because you don't know what's under the bonnet. It's like um, lifting up a stone and finding lots of other stones underneath that. And it's <laughs> just seeing what bugs are underneath each one. Yeah, uh, it is, it is, it is tricky it's far easier i think to do it when you're actually creating a project from scratch because then you've got a clean slate um and then you know it's it's up to you to to write those tests um so i guess i guess throughout your career you've always worked on code that has been tested
1: i i have had the benefit of having always been part of a team that had a legacy yeah i've never been like I've been the only tester before, but it's been to a specific part of an application. Never the only tester in the company.
0: Right, right, okay. And w- when when you test something and it, and and then it, it it fails, you send it back to the developer. Um, is there like ha- do you have inter- interaction with that developer as to you know why it failed? If there's any questions back and forth, that kind of thing.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And more often than not, I'll sit with them before I even put in the bug.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Then we'll talk about it. Oh, that's good.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about it. I'll say, I found it. Here's how I found it. Here's my steps. So they can recreate it. Um, If it's something that's really, really fiddly, I might make a video um, of, like, exactly what I did to get there. Um, More often than not, when I find something because of the way our developers test, it's something that's under a very specific set of criteria. It's not something that just always happens. It only happens under this condition, or when I take this workflow, or with this type of user. Right. Um, so, as much detail as I can give them, I do, and we always have a conversation.
0: Excellent. Oh, that's great to hear. And I guess it's like edge cases that you find, right? The sort of things yeah. that aren't, like you said, common, uh, commonplace. Um, what What would you say is the most common mistakes
1: that software te- that that software testers make? They try and test everything. <laughs> we no, I'm serious. Testing everything is wasteful. Um, it's not. It's not a productive use of your time. It's not a valuable use of your time. It hurts your morale because it um, feels tedious.
0: Right.
1: Um, focus on your risks. That's that's where the bang for your buck is. That's where your money is. Right. Um, so that's where your money is. You could spend so much time trying to test everything that you miss literally the largest problem.
2: Mm.
1: Go for the big stuff that matters and don't worry so much about the small stuff.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. That is a really good point. Um yeah, cuz from a coder's perspective, we have these like code coverage reports that we can run that will tell us how much the code was covered when, you know, you you run these tests. And usually in my experience at least it goes like, you know, code coverage. All right, I'm going to bump that up to to 40%, bump that up to 60%. And what you've done is you've just covered the low hanging fruit. When it gets to the last 20%, then you're in the hot water. (laughs) But really, those should have been addressed first because they are really difficult. So like the last 20% is going to take you far longer than the the first 60% or or whatever, um, 80%. So, yeah. And I guess it's the case of just knowing where the risks are, where, knowing where the tricky things are. Um, yeah. Gosh. Okay. Um, so do you have any advice on, on uh, you know, software, for software testers try, trying to get into the industry?
1: Well, my best advice is to use all of the resources that are out there. Right. So there are amazing programs available to you online, like Test Automation U. Mm-hmm. Um, which has awesome classes on automation.
2: Okay. and
1: we'll get you started. and everyone in like, the soft, in the testing world right now is, is using it. Um, I just saw like one of the people who literally wrote the book, Agile Testing, said she's sitting down to take one of the courses. So use those resources. They're out there. A lot of them are free. Mm-hmm. Um, Ministry of Testing has some awesome resources on their website. Get involved in Twitter, you know, get on testing Twitter. We're all talking all the time. If you're a woman in testing, get into like the women in testing slack. Um, We love to talk about what's going on. We love to answer questions for each other. Um, The world is your oyster. You just got to get out there and interact with it and and things will come.
0: Well, that sort of brings us around to the first point which was made and that was testing is a human thing, right? So you're, you're interacting with humans and how they use the system um and therefore you need to interact with humans to improve yeah um it's been lovely speaking to you jenna have you got anything that that you would like to wish to add
1: no just find me on twitter i'm happy to help i'm at she wrestles test
0: (laughs) she wrestles test that's fantastic (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, is there, is there any other ways of getting in touch or is is Twitter the best way?
1: Twitter is the best way.
0: I'll put it in the show notes below and on the screen, but, um, there is a question that I ask everybody on the show, um, before you go. And that is if you could talk to your former self, what advice would you give? It could be more than one and it doesn't have to be technical. It could be non-technical or both.
1: Am I allowed to swear?
0: uh yeah go on
1: fuck what everybody else says (laughs) do what makes you happy why did i know you were going
0: to say that (laughs) (laughs) oh so um give me an example
1: um okay this is i'm really sorry if i make anybody sad i said from early childhood that i wanted to quote work with computers Mm -hmm. that's what i said to my mom. And I have a learning disability. Math is really hard for me. And my mom said, you'll never be able to do that. Just let go of that idea. And even when I got my first testing job, she said, well, you know you're going to bomb out of this, right? And I didn't. I'm doing what I always said I wanted to do from like very young. Mm. I'm doing something I love that makes a difference in people's lives. And um, if I had said, fuck that, when I was younger, I would have been doing it even earlier. So I wish that I had, uh, I trusted my gut instead of everybody else's.
0: Fair enough. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like that. Thank you very much, Jenna. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, and I I wish you well for your talk. It sounds awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. For those listening on the podcast and watching on the YouTubes, happy coding, everyone. See you again soon. Cheers. Bye.